LSL is the leading distributor of radiotherapy patient positioning equipment and physics QA products for the UK and Ireland, supplying both the NHS and private sectors. We currently have a busy event schedule and will be attending many conferences in the next few months and many of the regional study days. For a full list of where to meet us, please do get in touch. As well as our event schedule, we also have a busy product portfolio that has recently been updated to. This includes Sky Factory for state-of-the-art visual LED lighting. We have MyQA Ion and Ion RT from IBA for automated patient-specific QA for photon, electron and proton radiotherapy. And we also have MR Box from our AI suppliers at Therapanacea, allowing AI-powered MR-only workflows for a more consistent and high-quality planning pathway. For SGRT, we have a vast range of open-faced thermoplastic masks, as well as surface-guided compatible clear bolus from ClearSight, preventing any risk of interference between the skin surface and your SGRT solution. And as always, do not hesitate to get in touch to discuss your product and service requirements with our friendly and knowledgeable team. Our account and clinical specialists are from a radiotherapy and physics background, and we are more than happy to chat about the clinical benefits and the workflow of all of our products. Hello everyone and welcome to RadChat, the multi-award winning first therapeutic radiographer-led oncology podcast. Welcome to podcast number 96. My name is Naman Joker Anderson and I'm joined by fellow host Joe McNamara. Hi everyone. So a big thank you to our last guest, Naomi Clatworthy, who talked about her role as an acute oncology nurse consultant. If you haven't had a chance yet, please do go and take a listen. So we're very pleased to introduce our guest this evening, Laura Allington, who's the operational lead for proton beam therapy at University College London Hospitals. And she will be discussing her role uh, PBT and leadership. Hi Laura, how are you? Hi Naman, hi Joe. Um, I'm very well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on today. Lovely to have you. So would you mind telling us a bit about your current role and how you got there please Laura? Yes of course. So I'm currently the um, operational lead for proton beam therapy at UCLH. Um, so really it's the equivalent to a radiotherapy services role but for the, the proton centre itself. Um, in terms of how I got here, um, I qualified um, as a therapeutic radiographer in the the mid-90s, having um, trained at the Royal Marsden and under Kingston University. And um, I started working actually at the Royal Marsden when I started my career. Um, In around 1999, I actually moved to UCLH, where I've been since, but in a number of different roles. Um, And one of the reasons I moved to UCLH at the time was they had one of the first um, dedicated CT scanners in the country. Uh, and they were slightly expanding their um, pre-treatment workforce. And I'd always had quite a passion for pre-treatment in my student days and in my my, um, early career days. So I moved to UCLH as what was then called a senior one radiographer. So probably about the equivalent of band seven in in most departments. And I suppose there, that was where my um, passion for implementing new techniques and technologies sort of began really, um, because that role allowed um, me to explore um, introducing a new technology and it gave me quite a lot of autonomy at the time and I really really enjoyed that actually. Um, Then in um, the early 2000s around 2002 the opportunity came up to move into a superintendent role and I actually moved to be a treatment floor superintendent so I have dotted between pre-treatment and treatment a bit throughout my career which I know is is perhaps a little bit unusual Um, but I've always enjoyed both sides. Um, of my of being a therapeutic radiographer really or those particular roles um, and so my ch- treatment superintendent role I continued to play a lead role in the introduction of quite a 
a number of new techniques, which again, I really enjoyed. So we had IMRT many years ago that was introduced and then there was Sabre and 4DCT and we did breathing coaching for lung patients. I was um, played a lead role introducing that and um, deep inspiration breath hold as well um, for, our, for our best patients. And some of that work actually became um, the subject of um, my master's um, some of my master's um, essays and dissertations um, and I completed the master's during that period of time um, in around 2016. Um, then I went back to pretreatment and led the um, pretreatment team again um, as the lead pretreatment superintendent. That's where I moved then into um, more of a management, uh, a sort of senior management role because there I became part of the senior management team, radiotherapy team at, at UCLH. And it was also then um, in that role that um, I was asked by my then radiotherapy services manager if I would deputise for him um, for the protamine therapy um, project because we were just starting sort of to dig the, excavate the enormous hole that the proton centre was eventually built in. Um, so that was about 2015. So I started to deputise for him on what was such an exciting project to be involved in. And it started to expose me to lots of different um, different groups of people within the trust and externally as well. So very exciting. Um, so then when the opportunity came up to apply for the operational lead role in 2016, I, um, I applied and um, uh, decided to go for it. And um, fortunately, um, I feel very privileged to have been successful and have been in, in that role now since the end of um, 2016, which um, I very much enjoyed. Um, it's been quite a busy few years since then, implementing the centre. As I say, when I took on the role, it was um, that we were just starting ex to excavate the building. Um, it's, it's a large building. Um, it's um, five floors below ground and five floors above ground is the entire hospital site, although the proton centre itself is, is two floors. Um, so in the past, in the past six, six plus years since I've been in this role, um, I've been responsible or leading the team. It's very much a team team um, project, of course. It's um, there's many of us, and I work alongside some fantastic people. And we've created um, workforce models, um, built the workforce, and and trained the workforce. It's multidisciplinary. So, from the team that I manage is mainly therapeutic radiographers, but um, of course there we have administrative professionals working within the team, health place specialists, um, uh, nurses, to, to name but a few. Um, there's been lots of procurement too. Uh, when I took on the role, we had procured the, um, the, the treatment system, the Provarium ProBeams, but we didn't have a, we hadn't procured the CT or MRI or any immobilization or the planning system. Um, so it's been interesting to be, be involved and, and leading on, on those, in those areas as well. We've also had to devise our patient pathways and all our um, operating procedures, all our SOPs. We've engaged with patient groups, which has been really exciting to help to um, build a service that hopefully meets their needs in terms of patient experience. Um, and I've also been very involved in the design of the centre as well. So I didn't learn this at university, um, but I've been meet, met, spent a lot of time meeting with architects and um, designers and working alongside charities as well to ensure that we can enhance the areas within the, within the centre. So it's been quite varied and um, a very interesting project to be involved in. But now we're open and um, taking on more of a services manager role now um, as we ramp up and develop that service and, and build on on the, um, the, the, 
the um, techniques and, and patients that we're treating. And of course, that's all done in collaboration with the, the Christie Foundation Trust too. Just a, a few little things that we've done <laughs> over the last few years then. Um, Laura, I'm really interested in that kind of procurement aspect of it and commissioning. Yeah. How do you even start all of that? And and where do you learn those skills? Because I'd imagine as well, coming from a radiotherapy background, I'm, I'm definitely thinking from the degree provision that we provide, that isn't part of it. No, no, you're right. Um, so I think... Um, it's partly from others around you, so definitely tapping into the experience around you. Um, so who, who's done it before? Who's recently procured a CT scanner or an MRI scanner? What can we learn from them? Um, with the MRI particularly, of course, as therapeutic radiographers, that really is an, another world that we're fortunate to have, to have a dedicated MRI scanner, but not many radiotherapy departments in the country have them. I know that um, obviously it's growing gradually. Um, our experience with that. So um, I actually turned to our diagnostic colleagues and as part of the procurement, we had some diagnostic um, MRI radiographers involved um, and also our, the lead MRI physicist for um, the trust too. Um, so so really it's utilising um, you know, everyone around you. Of course, you work really, I work really closely with our trust procurement team too. So they are the absolute experts in, in procurement and ensuring every, your scope is written correctly and your specification and the way that you do it is obviously highly regulated. So um, it's sort of preparing up front, um, uh, learning from others and tapping into all the experience that you possibly can either within, I did that within the trust itself or, or externally as well. Um, Laura, what, what did you have to do in terms of the patient voice? Um, because I would imagine that a lot of facilities and services now have that element where mm-hmm. patients are asked for their opinions and things. Is that something that you were also involved in? Uh, yes, yes, I was. And we um, engaged early on with our patients. In fact, from I think we ran our first patient engagement event in 2017, actually. So I'd only been in post for about six months at the time. Um, and we engaged at that point about design and look and particularly about design and look and feel at the service or, and what they wanted to happen in the service, what, what from a distraction point of view, um, you know, did they want ARCT activities to be taking place? Um, as an example, do they want complementary therapy? Um, so we really started at that, at that looking in the, those particular areas. Um, and what we did was we ran a series of engagement events um, for the different ages, because of course we treat a lot of children and teenagers in PBT, um, as well as um, and adults. Um, so we ran separate engagement events across the three different age groups. Uh, and they were fantastic to be involved in actually. It was, it was great to hear the patient's view. And we had patients who'd had um, radiotherapy um, in, our, in the UCLH, uh, quite a number of whom actually come from quite a wide catchment area, um, as do our, do our proton patients. We engaged with um, patients who'd been abroad for PBT as well and, and got their experience and um, insight into what they wanted in the centre that we were building. So that was the first round of engagement events. Um, subsequent to that, we ran others where we where we um, talked about the accommodation that we would, would wanted to offer patients and, and to got, got their view on that. And they were involved in um, 
influencing the scope document. And again, that was another procurement exercise. Actually, Joe went out to procurement for the accommodation, which was something I hadn't um, ever done before at all. Um, and we also, uh, another area we focused on was um, patient information. Um, patients are coming um, from afar. Um, and so uh, them understanding up front, um, you know, what the centre looks and feels like, what's going to happen, what is proton beam therapy, who are they going to meet, um, it is really, really important. So we engage with patient groups uh, about, about that. And a variety of things, we've also created an end of treatment um, support workshop, which was really something that came about from one of our engagement events that we felt we couldn't we then needed to respond to, we needed to do something about because it, it was coming out loud and clear that they were concerned about that transition from the department back to home. Um, and so we ran another engagement session sort of focusing in on that and that's something we then developed subsequent to that. So, so hopefully we engage patients a lot and we'll continue to do so. We certainly get feedback um, from our patients throughout their, um, at any point in, in time, when they're in the centre, there are um, QR codes scattered around so patients can can feedback if they think of something they want to tell us about, albeit good or bad. And at the end of their treatment, they also um, are asked to complete an end of treatment um, questionnaire to give us feedback about the service um, and the support they received while they were with us. There's one thing you've definitely pointed out. Obviously, the patient voice is really important. But secondly, Joe, and to any educators listening, you need to learn about procurement <laughs> at uni, how to design a department. You know, we need to be getting the colouring pencils out, Joe. Like in, I'm things. just revalidating a course. There's no space for procurement. We might mention it as part of a seminar. <laughs> Laura, there's one thing I think we haven't quite mm -hmm. asked you yet, but I think it's starting to show with when you're talking about the patient voice. But what got you into healthcare and radiotherapy? Um, I think I think men like many um, or a number of people that end up in um, therapeutic radiography. It wasn't something that was was widely publicised. Certainly when I was at school. Um, uh, I suppose I was influenced by a few people, actually. I had a friend who was interested in being a diagnostic radiographer, and I suppose that first introduced me to radiography uh, in general, and then I heard about therapeutic radiography. Um, I had some personal experience of, um, as many of us have had, of, of um, uh, sort of um, somebody who was quite close to me um, going through a cancer journey as well. Um, I did some work experience when I was in the sick form at, at my local hospital and I really loved being in the hospital environment, really, really enjoyed it. Um, and I think therapeutic radiography for me had that balance of caring for somebody um, and supporting them and, and getting to know them over that sort of six week period of treatment alongside the, the technical elements as well, the physics, the equipment that we use. So for me, it had that balance between the, the two. Um, unfortunately, I've I've always enjoyed it since, um, and found it to be a, a fantastic balance of all those of all those elements. Really, do you think moving around within your career kept you interested and continually developing? I I, th I think so, probably yes. And I think some of it's about um, opportunities that that sort of come to you, and others about seeking out opportunities and ensuring those that are around you, particularly those that are perhaps your line managers, um, are aware of where your interests lie and actually your ambitions. Um, and I, I suppose I've been quite supportive to have some very supportive managers that have allowed me to, to explore and to develop those, those skills and to experience, you know, to be involved in the implementation of, of new techniques um, and equipment um, that I was talking about earlier.
with proton partners obviously coming in um from helping with the private side we know with proton beam therapy lots of clinical sites aren't commissioned by the mm-hmm. nhs how are you finding with ramping up um obviously the service towards the end of this year so 2023 kind of the pressure from that side from the obviously in, in the states you can get proton therapy for anything you want mm-hmm. basically for example yes I mean, as, as you know um as you've said it's for it's a highly specialized cohort of patients that we treat in the nhs service um at the christie and at uclh and, and just to clarify we do work very collaboratively together <laughs> um and um as you said we predominantly take patients from the south of england and the christie from the north um although if there are any capacity issues um then then we will take we have taken patients in the north and vice versa from the from the south um i suppose the the rigor in the nhs service it's um you know we we are delivering treatment where there's that evidence base where proton beam therapy has, has been shown of of benefit um and it's not to say that other areas won't benefit but that in the future um but that's what the nhs service is trying to ensure that we very robustly show by building that evidence so we are um implementing a number of trials um, in the service, some of which are already open, um, such as Torpedo, which has been open for a number of years, which is looking at oropharyngeal tumours, and Parable, which is now open, looking at um, a really um, highly um, sort of close to find um, cohort of um, breast cancer patients. And there'll be a number of studies that are opening um, in the summer and and towards later this year. So we're going to see um, eventually sort of about 50% 50% of our workload at both the Christie and at UCLH will be will be that trial workload. And I think it's really important that we as a national service do that and add to that evidence base. Um, we're also collecting patient outcomes. We have um, clinical outcomes and um, there is a defined data set that, that we've defined with the Christie. They're collecting the same information as us and that will be combined in a, in a national registry of eventually um, and will... Um, add to uh, you know, the, the evidence for PBT in those areas that we're exploring. We have the HIT meso study opening um, in the summer, which is looking at a mesothelioma. We've got APPROACH, which is looking at oligodendrogliomas. PROTEUS, which is looking at esophageal tumours. So we are widening and broadening in the NHS, but doing it in a, in, within the trial setting. Um, it's not to say, of course, that, um, uh, um, as I mentioned earlier, that there isn't benefit for other areas um, that are treated potentially in the private service it's just there isn't necessarily it's not deemed by the NHS um, which of course um, only has two centres at current currently you know currently not not deemed to be um, the the evidence base isn't there yet for the other other sites So we're very fortunate that this episode is also sponsored by Radformation. They provide artificial intelligence driven tools for efficiency and quality improvements in all phases of the patient care process, including for proton beam therapy centres. So Radformation can easily accelerate your treatment planning workflow with customizable automation solutions. Their latest solution, Rad Monte Carlo, adds gold standard treatment verification for electron, photon and proton treatment systems to provide Monte Carlo calculations in two minutes. Rad Monte Carlo is US FDA cleared and is pending their CE mark. You can find out why over 1,400 centres worldwide trust Radformation automation solutions in their clinic by going on www.radformation.com or 
on Instagram at Radformation underscore, Facebook at Radformation Software, and LinkedIn and Twitter at Radformation. Make sure you check them out. So Laura, can you tell us what the Proton Pathway looks like? Um, so when first of all, they will be referred by their, um, their clinical oncologist um, um, when they discuss radiotherapy in the first instance, they'll be referred to um, via the national referral portal um, where the case will be assessed um, by a, um, an expert panel as to their suitability for proton beam therapy. Um, assuming that PBT is thought to be of benefit, um, the patient will then be um, that case will then be reviewed at either the UCLH or the Christie um, MDTs as well. Um, and then once we've got the green light for PBT, then um, the patient will be contacted um, by, our, in the first instance, by the um, UCLH um, bookings team, our PBT bookings team, um, who will have booked them what we call um, their single assessment visit and will give them their provisional um, first treatment appointment. Um, the single, we call it a single assessment visit, as do the Christian. Effectively, it's a cluster of appointments um, where you will um, have your new patient clinic appointment, where you'll meet your clinical oncologist. Um, you'll also meet your key worker. And in the PBT service, we have a site specialist radiographer across all our key treatment sites. So you would meet your site specialist radiographer as well. Um, depending on the age of the patient, um, you may meet um, a paediatric or paediatric um, clinical nurse specialist. Um, I have a team of health play specialists that work in the Protomine Therapy Centre, which are absolutely integral to um, supporting and the play therapy to prepare our children for treatment. Um, so for our younger patients, they'll meet um, a health play specialist too. Um, and for our very young um, patients, so usually up to about the age of six, it might be that we need to do a general anaesthetic for the duration of the treatment because the children are um, too young to be able to keep still for the treatment. The treatments can be quite lengthy. They can um, be up to about 45 minutes at a time. Um, so for our very young patients, they may have a general anaesthetic every day for treatment. And if they were to have that, then the family would meet um, the anaesthetist as well to talk through that process. So that would be your first appointment, usually, or your first cluster of appointments when you come for your single assessment visit. Assuming the patient then consents for treatment, um, they will then have their planning scans. And they're usually a day or two after your clinic appointment. Um, and um, in order to plan the protamine therapy, um, patient, we need to first of all create some immobilization as we do for radiotherapy and it's, the devices are very similar. Um, so we create the immobilization to help you keep still. Um, it might be a mask, it might be um, something we call a vacuum formed bag that um, fits snugly around the patient and um, then they would have their CT scan in that. And most of our patients, because we're treating um, uh, tumours that will benefit from imaging with MRI, such as the neurological tumours, most of our patients will then have an MRI scan following on from the CT scan as well. So um, for um, healthcare professionals that know an awful lot about, about radiotherapy, you can see the pathway is very similar. It's just that, that it's a clustering of appointments, whereas usually if you were coming for radiotherapy in your local centre, you would tend to come in for one appointment and then maybe go home. But because our patients are coming from far and wide, we cluster together so they're not traveling backwards and forwards, potentially um, hundreds of miles. Um, so at that, once we've um, 
acquired all our images and the patients can go back home um, and while well, we then work on their, their dosimetry plan um, for their treatment. So we want to optimise the dose to where the, the target dose to where the tumour was or is and minimise any dose to normal structures. And of course, that's where proton beam therapy has the advantage because it's, um, it's advantageous in reducing um, dose to, to normal tissues. Um, so patients would then return about two to three weeks after their single assessment visit to start their treatment. Um, and treatments usually last. We use the same um, treatment schedules, same fractionation regimes as um, we do in radiotherapy. Um, so patients usually come attend the department daily for around six weeks in total. Um, and throughout that whole period of time, I mentioned the accommodation um, a little bit earlier on, and throughout that whole time, um, the NHS fund um, accommodation from patient for patients. Um, at UCLH, it's it's quite close to um, the hospital itself. It's um, in Camden, so it's about a 25 minute walk away if you wanted to walk. It's um, a quick bus journey of about 15 minutes. And what we've tried to do is to create um, a, a, some apartments for patients which are very, very much home from home. So they're self-catering apartments um, with their own kitchens. They um, all appointed, they're, they're um, right on the canal. <clears throat> Um, and um, we've got balconies, so they're, they're quite very, very pleasant places to stay, actually. Um, and in fact, the accommodation provider that we work with is um, absolutely fantastic and does an awful lot to support the patients while they're there. And in fact, they run um, meet and greet sessions once a week to enable some of the families to come together if they want to, um, to get to know each other um, while they're staying at, at the apartments, too. Um, so I think that covers covers most of the journey there, Joe. Yeah, it sounds lovely. I mean, to have that environment when you're going through a cancer kind of treatment as well is really important. Yes. And there's a lot of research around having, you know, a safe environment. And, and I think obviously while it was just a Christie, we had Charlie Wardle come on mm -hmm. a while back who was part of the torpedo trial, a patient who said actually that one of the toughest parts was being alone further up north when he lived down south. Um, so yeah, it's great to hear obviously that environment's been adjusted even if you didn't study it about it at university. <laughs> when it comes to uh, external beam radiotherapy or protons, have you found or has any of the oncologists found any challenges now with patients maybe being a bit more clued up about the treatments, maybe wanting to have protons versus photons or vice versa? Um, I think certainly there's been quite a lot of media attention and um, uh, proton beam therapy has been um, fairly widely publicised in in recent years. Um, I think it's a, it's down to careful counselling from the clinical oncologists about the treatment that's most suitable for the patient. Um, there are advantages with proton beam therapy for some tumours, but X-rays um, treat most patients extremely effectively and can be delivered much, much, much closer to home as well. So I think it is it, it comes back to careful counselling of patients now, man, and also directing patients to, web, you know, re reputable websites. Um, I think, uh, you know, if you looked at the UCLH website or the Christie website, that gives patients a really good overview of where prosomeal therapy could be beneficial. And also if you were coming, what to expect as well and who you might meet. 
Laura, can I ask about the use of AI in automation services? I'm just thinking with the developments in proton beam therapy, um, you know, and having a brand new centre, did you find mm-hmm. that that was part of the implementation and consideration? Um, well, UCH has been involved in some um, AI developments as a whole. And of course, uh, we work very closely with our radiotherapy department. We are we consider ourselves as one radiothera- one's radiotherapy service, but, but two separate departments. Um, and one thing we have been involved in, and, and there have been some publications on, is um, using um, uh, AI for um, uh, the uh, outlining organ, organs at risk as an example. So I wouldn't say um, with the implementation of proton beam therapy therapy, it was a particular consideration, Um, but we've certainly been involved in projects. And what we do find in PBT is that um, we um, have to um, replan more regularly because the proton beam therapy beam is much more sensitive to changes in anatomy than than an X-ray beam would be. And certainly developing that pathway um, and um, streamlining it with the use of um, AI um, it is something that will be hugely beneficial in the future. Obviously, with your career pathway to get to where you are, Laura, mm-hmm. I think as Joe touched on, you know, you've been involved in lots of things to keep your mind stimulated. How have you found maybe the upskilling side of things since the proton beam therapy services started here? Because I know, as far as I remember, looking at NHS jobs, there was quite a few people applying. Lots of my friends now work with you at UCLH uh-huh. but the upskilling and trying to keep people engaged as a proton beam therapy service is developing how have you found that um yeah so I suppose the upskilling um com- we sort of started upskilling staff a long time ago at within the department um so we've some of the sort of core team of um I think attended um proton beam therapy education um sessions or workshops um, there's one that the Paul Scherer Institute run annually that's a, where you immerse yourself there for a week and um, quite a number of us from the from the core team attended that um, 10 years 10 years plus actually so we started to embed and immerse the department in our learning early on um, we've um, we've also spent time in proton beam therapy centers very much as a multidisciplinary team actually rather than a group of radiographers going out or a group of clinical oncologists alone or a group of physicists we went out together so a team of us have spent um have done week-long we call them observation visits in centers um in the us um which were particularly useful we chose those that had um the same equipment as us but also those that was treating a similar patient cohort to us too um, we've also um, spent time in, in European centres as well. Um, of course, not everybody can do that and the whole department can't do that and nor is it necessary as well. But what we were doing is building up the knowledge and experience and education within core members of the team. Um, we, throughout the department, we needed to engage with staff and ensure they um, had a, a level of knowledge and understanding as well. So early on, we would run, uh, we run, ran PB, um, CB, CPD sessions. Um, we also um, ran um, me- uh, meetings regularly for different sites where we looked at dissymmetry plans for patients. We replanned some of our X-ray patients being treated with photons, with X-rays, with um, proton- protons, and we would compare and contrast the plans, talk about how we would have immobilized that patient, think about what would happen if their anatomy changed, and that helped to form 
um, our image guidance protocols as well. Um, so that and that was open. That was to the wide team that we were were educating, uh, and everybody was learning together. Um, we had a team coming in from the um, New York Proton Center who, um, well, they're virtually, who ran a series of sessions to the multidisciplinary team as well, teaching sessions. And again, we, we sent them cases and they reviewed those cases and we discussed those cases with them. Um, and then we've, from that, we've also then created um, a training competency package within within house for, for new um Radiographer for starting with us um, and that's a combination of face-to-face -face sessions we've got e-learning modules as well that staff can go off and, and focus on um, we have um, we use a phantom so so staff can start to learn to treat and and image patients and then of course there's shattering as well and what we do is we have a, a longer period of time when pa when um, staff are supernumerary in the department than perhaps we would if we were in radiotherapy to allow for them to embed and allow that knowledge and learning um, to happen um, and, and to take place in in a in a sensible time frame um, having said that there are we, what we've also tried to do is to keep is to keep as many processes and um, techniques are similar across radiotherapy as we do it, uh, across radiotherapy and proton beam therapy. Um, so we've only changed immobilization if we've had to because proton beam therapy is required as an example. Um, we have currently true beams in our radiotherapy department. The console and a lot of the um, uh, the um, interfaces on the true beams are very similar to our pro beams as well. And that's been really important in helping us to upskill up the workforce too. So it's been a gradual integration over the years. Um, and now obviously we're practical, with the practical sessions we're up and running and staff can actually come and come and see in shadow and learn. You said obviously protons and uh, external beam are kind of two departments, but one service. Mm -hmm. Do people cross over? So if, if someone worked for six months in protons, they would go six months into external beam? Um, yes, we do. So um, our, our workforce is predominantly rotational. So we have some um, staff who are just in protons or are just in photons, but that's actually quite a small, small number of the team. Most radiographers or um, health place specialists on the nursing team, they actually do work across both services undertaking rotations in each. Um, and I think that provides more resilience across the service, um, but also I think it provides more opportunity for the team working there as well, um, because they're able to rotate through all the areas that, that we as a radiotherapy service can offer, offer staff. So it, it keeps them interested and it keeps them engaged, hopefully, and offers opportunity. Do you find that some therapeutic radiographers might go over to Proton Beam and go, I love it here and I don't want to go back to radiotherapy? Do you get people who kind of love or, or you know, a bit like mum, I, I absolutely love this and actually I'd really prefer not to. Is that something you observe within the workforce? I think I have observed it, yes. And I think both ways, actually. Some are reluctant to leave radiotherapy and, and, and come over to Proton Beam therapy. Um and I personally, as the manager, I'm always, always really sad to see the staff when they rotate back to radiotherapy sometimes because you get your sort of family or your family or team there. And then and then eventually they, they do rotate um, 
back to radiotherapy but I think you know I think it is a good workforce model it's it's not always the easiest to manage from a managerial point of view and you know um, operationally it's quite tricky with the the rotations and to get I think we're still learning um, the length if I'm honest um, having been open what a year and a half ish now we're still learning the best length of rotation uh, and how to rotate staff and I think we're honest with staff uh, um, that we're still learning a little bit about that so staff feedback with that process has been has been really helpful actually. Do you think leadership comes into it when you're trying to facilitate such a large workforce dynamic? Definitely, definitely. I mean, you need to um, be able to sort of, um, to be able to explain your vision, explain your thoughts behind it. We've implemented a huge amount of change across the service in the past few years. And, um, you know, not everybody um, you know, people can be resistant to change. And so we, we have run a lot of staff engagement sessions, actually, with the hope of them understanding the vision and, and being involved in it as well. Um, we had staff coming onto site when we still had to wear all our hard hat and boots because it was still a building site. We tried to get people into the centre early on so they could see, see it developing, um, to explain to them about the workforce models um, as I said, with the education as well, they started to learn more about proton beam therapy. Um, so yes, I think um, leading, having, having, um, or being able to lead that change, um, it, and having, being able to um, sort of portray, portray, put forward that vision has been really, really important and been important for myself and my senior team to do over the past few years. What are some of the challenges you faced as a leader kind of progressing through radiotherapy? I suppose um, with challenges, um, you know, not everybody is as excited about the changes as you are. And um, and I suppose you, you can't assume everybody is. Um, and that's where that engagement's been really important, I think. Um, and also to acknowledge that that's that's fine too um, as you go along. So for any leaders or future leaders listening what would you tell them about trying to win people over or I don't know trying to put forward an improvement project? I think engage early definitely engage early don't as I said don't assume everybody's excited as, as you are about it you need to be able to explain you know, why, you know, the story, why this is so exciting, um, why this is nothing to be nervous or or anxious about, uh, and how everybody can, can potentially benefit from, from this change. And to reassure, really, I think reassurance is important too. And to, to sort of, to keep going back as well, don't to assume that if you tell somebody once you do a big presentation to the department, that that's all you have to do. You have to keep going back um, and checking in with people, really. Um, and I've always found it quite useful after after meeting with staff uh, about maybe particularly uh, a particular change to sort of touch base with maybe a few of them individually, perhaps either those that were very vocal or those that didn't say anything when you engage with them as well. Do you think leadership can be taught? It's something that I've asked another manager that's been on. And it's a question that I love because I've had it asked to me when I was in the reserves and it's something that's always stuck in my head to ask other people. Right. Um, I think aspects of it 
you can be taught. I think some you some of it you can be taught. Um, but I think it's I, I feel it's experiences that, that teach you teaches you leadership. I've worked with some really inspiring leaders, particularly in the past decade actually. And um, when I think about those particular people, they have quite diverse styles actually. And I suppose I've tried to pick elements of that that I think were most successful. Um, so I suppose that's that's how I have um, learnt is from from others. But whether I, I'm not sure people can sit down with a, a PowerPoint presentation and, and teach you how to lead. If I'm honest, I'm not sure if that's a textbook answer, but that's my honest answer. Um, can I ask about kind of patient late effects? Um, it's an area of radiotherapy that we're seeing very much now because of the success of treatments and people living longer and the consequences of that treatment, obviously, um, becoming present and the requirement for late effects clinics. What are you seeing in terms of the evidence base for proton beam therapy and, and how are patients being managed and supported um, from, that, from that aspect? Uh-huh. So um, the um, majority of our patients are predominantly followed up in their referring centres because we've got to remember they've come from radiotherapy, re predominantly on referrals by clinical oncologists who are radiotherapy experts. And um, the, uh, the effect, if you treat um, an area of the body to a particular dose, albeit with protons or with um, photons, it will have the, the same effect, of course. The benefit of protons being is that you treat less normal tissue. So you would you would see less um, late effects. And that's the, where the big benefit lies, particularly for the for the children who are and the teenagers who are who are growing and developing. Um, so predominantly the follow up is undertaken at the referring centres and to do that we have um, we have to ensure we've got really good communication between us and them. So first of all that happens up front when they refer to us that we get the correct information about the patient and then of course when they complete treatment with us and they return to their referring centre we ensure that we've communicated back to the to the, their clinical oncologist, um, any um, everything about their treatment, what dose they've received, um, any side effects they've experienced during treatment, um, so that they can and uh, they get some indication of the dissymmetry plan as well, so they can effectively follow them up. Um, we at UCLH, for most of our treatment sites, we touch base with a patient somewhere between two to six weeks post treatment, so fairly early on, and then what we're doing, um, as are the Christie, is we're following up with them once a year so to collect those long-term outcomes joe that you talk about um, so that will really allow us to gather that data to fully understand the the late effects of proton beam therapy and add to the evidence base that's there where do you see proton beam therapy in 10 years i mean i think it, it really depends at present on um the uh the the development of the service we've currently got. Um, and at present, we have the capacity to treat those patients on the that are that are highly prioritised. We have the capacity to undertake the trials. And I suppose it's really, it's hard to answer that question, am I, if I'm honest, without um, us, first of all, seeing some of the outcomes of the trials and understanding what we as a country need um, in terms of capacity. Certainly, I was looking earlier today, actually, at... Um, 
one of the websites which shows you how many proton centers there are across the world actually because it's constantly changing and how many in development um, and um, I, I did a quick count up and actually I think there's over well over a hundred proton beam therapy centers now uh, across the world um, and that's that's tens more than it was when I first took up this post so it certainly is growing and developing internationally um, but I really think with the the you know with the NHS service we we really need to understand the trial outcomes um, to understand exactly the direction that we're we're traveling in I think it's good to hear obviously where proton beam therapy will develop um, we're coming towards the end of the episode Laura we always like to end with top tips um, are there any top tips you might give some to our listeners um, so in terms of finding out proton beam therapy um, I would so I would for patients um, if, if patients were listening I would very much direct you to um, the um, the NHS website about um, proton beam therapy which will explain um, how patients are referred and and where which sites are commissioned for PBT um, and then of course the UCLH and, and Christie um, websites too which will give you a really good idea as I said earlier of of what the services offer and and who we are and what we do um, thinking about students and um, healthcare professionals um, if you want to find out more about proton beam therapy there is um certainly an e-learning for health module that um, that um, you can um, undertake which will teach you some more about about PBT um, I would um, there's various conferences that are run certainly the Christie have a PBT school at the moment we've run symposiums that I would um, suggest that you um, attend in order to um, find out more about about proton beam therapy do you have any top tips for students who might be interested in proton beam therapy um, I think again that the e-learning for health module would be or is a really good place to start actually Naman um, because that will um, give you some some core PBT proton beam therapy education I think that's where I direct them in the first instance um, and then um, there are um, I suppose speaking to your dare I say it, Joe, your your um your course lecturers and lead you know your leaders to find out what what they're teaching and and, and what you're learning from there as well. Brilliant, thank you so much. Um, thanks very much for coming on again as well, Laura. It's really insightful and amazing to hear about your career um and how you got to where you are at the moment. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. So yeah, thank you everyone for listening to Radcha. Your hosts today have been Naman Johansson and Joe McNamara. If you're utilising this podcast for CPT purposes, consider the reflective questions posted along with the links to resources and literature that we've discussed. To receive your accredited CPT certificate, please complete the Google form linked to the podcast. So our next guest to feature will be Joanne Collins, who will be discussing her role as an oncology pharmacist. Thank you for listening and take care.